Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey guys, we are back with another show. It's Erin here and I get to interview um, one of my new good friends and she's also a biological dentist. Her name is Dr. Kristen Graham and we met, we're both doing Jessica Flanagan's coaching program. So that's how we met. Um, we hit it off. We recently shared a bed together in Santa Fe. So we are basically like sisters now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, all right. So Kristen, thank you for being on the show. Um, oh my gosh, my pleasure. Obviously excited to talk to you. All right. I'm going to do your bio real quick so everybody knows um, knows a little bit more about you and then I'll kind of turn it over to you. So Dr. Kristen Graham graduated from the University of Maryland with a BS in biological sciences. She then continued on to dental school and graduated from the University of Maryland School of Dentistry in 2013. In pursuit of biological dentistry, she became a board-certified naturopath in 2017 by the American Naturopathic Medical Certification Board with training from the American College of Integrative Medicine and Dentistry with additional certifications in integrative biological dental medicine. She recently graduated from AFMCP Advanced Functional Medicine and Clinical Practice at the Institute for Functional Medicine in 2018. Dr. Kristen consults with clients one-on-one in her online practice and in private practice addressing each client as the individual they are. She focuses on systemic, oral, physical, and emotional well-being from a functional, biologic, and spiritual approach. Dr. Kristen resides in Maryland with her husband and two Rhodesian Ridgebacks. Learn more about her work at beyondpearlywhites.com. I'll link to that in the show notes. And then go follow her on Instagram at beyondpearlywhites. Okay, that's a lot to read. (laughs) It's a lot. That is a robust um, background. (laughs) Oh, and I'm not done yet. (laughs) She just keeps going, guys. She just keeps going. All right, so let's just dive right in. What, all right, just explain to us what biological dentistry is. Is it the same thing as holistic dentistry? Because I know everybody's going to have that question. What do you do? And like, how did you even find this? Because a lot of people don't, when I say biological dentist, they just look at me like I have eight heads. So how did you even, like, give us the whole story? Yeah, and that's why I'm so excited to be here because so many people don't know what it is. And let me back up and I'll start with how how I got here. well, and to answer your question, yes, holistic dentistry is the same thing. It, there's, it's essentially the same thing. People could argue um, a few differences on either end, but for the purposes, it's essentially the same thing. So, oh my gosh, um, I got really sick. That's pretty much how I found biologic dentistry. I um, 
I was having severe GI symptoms. I was chronically fatigued. I stopped getting my period. Um, all this happened about a year-ish out of dental school, um, but it had started during dental school. So that was that was one thing that um, definitely I knew my environment was playing a role in my illness. So I started seeing, I saw a couple doctors and I finally ended up in a GI specialist office and they did a colonoscopy and they diagnosed me with ulcer colitis. I asked him as he was scribbling me like six different prescriptions and told me that there was an 80% chance I was going to need surgery in my life if changing my diet would do anything. And he was like, nope, changing your diet won't do anything. All your large intestine does is reabsorb water. And I was like, what? Like, no way. Like, there's so much more to your your immune system and your gut than just absorbing water. So um, I went home, I did my own research, um, and a few uh, weeks later, I had transitioned to AIP and I came out of my flare, and I'm so fortunate that I have not had a flare since. Um, so that showed me how diet is so impactful for your health. So before, um, I'm just going to interrupt you in case people don't yeah. know what AIP is. AIP is autoimmune paleo protocol. So it's an elimination style diet. Yeah. So basically for me, it was cutting out gluten and I think dairy, that was the major, major trigger for me um, in terms of, in terms of that. But I still wasn't, I was still chronically fatigued. I, my hormones were still a mess and I ended up going to a top institute at um, a government funded program near me. And they ran so many, like thousands of dollars worth of tests on me, almost as like as a research subject, couldn't figure it out, nothing. They were like, just go back on birth control and um, maybe gain five pounds, but we don't really know what's going on with you. Just keep doing what you're doing and control your ulcer colitis and kind of good luck. I was like, this is crazy. Like I literally had one of the top doctors in, maybe even in the world, she's published over hundred papers, look at me and tell me that I was the healthiest unhealthy person she'd ever met. And they didn't know what to do with me. So of course, back to research, I, um, I finally discovered functional medicine and I found Jessica, our mentor, and she was actually the first functional person I met with. And she was looking at my labs and she was trying to help me. And one of the comments that she made to me when I asked her about my candida antibodies, because they were always elevated, she was like, Kristen, you know, candida feeds off of mercury. Like, have you ever heard of biological dentistry? And I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Like all I've been told is that mercury fillings are safe and that when you burnish them and smooth them off, all the mercury disappears and that it's not really toxic. And it, it was, I mean, the, when I, when I looked into it, it's, it's horribly toxic for you. And as soon as I found that out, I switched into biologic dentistry within like maybe two or three months. And my health has like just improved so much. I, I'm not a hundred percent better, but I'm, I'm, close. I'm in the 90% range now. And I'm, I'm just so passionate about sharing this with people because people don't know. And like, what's so dangerous about mercury fillings, and we can talk about this more later, but it's the placing and the removing of them that is the most um, toxic. That's when you get the most exposure. They're, they're constantly leaching in your mouth um, on like a lower level, but it's actually the placing and removing of them that is the most toxic. Like it's, it's just so much more than what OSHA would ever consider safe. So yeah, that's that's my journey, and that's why I'm so passionate about sharing this with people. So that's a pretty nutty story. Um, <laughs> you know what I was thinking when you were saying about so the it's the putting in and the removing. So obviously dentists and dental hygienists would be the 
would be the most at risk for that, right? Because yeah. you're constantly putting them in, taking them out. And so, yep. I've, you know, we've all heard the stat that, like, dentists have the highest suicide rate. I mean, we all thought exactly. it was because everybody hates going to the dentist, but maybe no. it has more to do with <laughs> oh this. Oh, my gosh. Dentistry can be so toxic. Yep. Oh, my gosh. That is unreal. Well, it's so scary to be super sick and then be in that profession and realize, like, oh, my God, my profession is making me sick. Yeah. And that you're told that it's safe and it's really not. And there's, there's just, there's only like one, like 1% of dentists, I think are biologic dentists. There's only a small percentage of us, but I'm hoping with podcasts and lots of education and these sort of things that this will get out in the public and then people will start asking for it. And then the profession will start to change. For sure. Demand always, always drives. Um, So listen, I will say that um, when I started looking, when I found out about biological dentistry, it was maybe just a year ago. So it's brand new to even me. I had to look. So I know that we have a lot of local listeners. So I would look into um, Brentwood, New Hampshire has a place. I go to a place in Groton, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a haul for me, but that's where I started. So you guys can look into both of those places. But for people who um, are looking to explore this whole other side, what should they be looking for in a biological dentist? Like what qualifies somebody as a biological dentist and what, what's the, what, what training sets them apart from conventional? I guess like what are the questions that we should be taking to the table when we're trying to find a new dentist? Yeah, good question. So oh, there's a lot of, lot of answers here. So what you want to look for is someone who has a comprehensive approach Um, so someone that looks at not only your oral health, but can connect it with your systemic health. Um, biologic dentistry is not subservient to one particular school of belief. So the goal really is to provide care in the safest, um, most biocompatible way for each individual. Um, we, we know that all body systems are connected and that dentistry really is such an integral component to whole self-care. Um, what you want to look for, there's there's a lot of things here. First, I would say, um, in no particular order, look for an office that uses digital radiographs. Um, they have much lower radiation exposure than um, other radiographs. Another type of imaging system you want to look for is someone who either has one in their office or has access to it, and it's called a cone beam, also known as a 3D imaging system or a CBCT. Um, that we use all the time. It will eventually be the standard of care. Um, it's great for detecting infections. Um, it looks at the airway. It just gives a much more comprehensive approach to what's going on in the head and neck region. In terms of certifications, I would look for a dentist that is certified in the SMART, S-M-A-R-T technique. It stands for Safe Mercury Amalgam Removal Technique. And that certification is through the IAOMT, which is another it's probably my favorite organization. Um, they do a lot of education. And if you go to their website, you can um, search for your zip code for a practitioner that's close to you. Um, one of my favorite things is medical grade ozone. That just has so many amazing uses in dentistry. It can reduce sensitivity. It can send blood flow in the immune system to the area. Um, it just has a lot of great uses. So that's one really great thing that bi- most biologic dentists use. Obviously, you want to look for someone who doesn't use any uh, metal restorations, someone who places ceramic implants instead of titanium implants, someone who looks at your airway and sleep disordered breathing. That's also going to be a really big field in dentistry. Um, Let me think. Oh, um, 
if you were to have a tooth extracted, using some offices have this um, technology and system called PRF, platelet-rich fibrin. And what they do is um, we can draw your blood, we spin it down, and we take those platelets and those growth factors. And after an extraction, we can place that into the socket and that cuts healing time in half. It reduces pain after an extraction. It's it's amazing. It's amazing. And so that is one um, bonus thing. It's not required, but that's just one really great other component that a lot of biological dentists use. Um, the other thing I would say, just looking for someone who can do testing, like there's a DNA test you can do to swab underneath root canals in the cravicular fluid. Um, there's biocompatibility testing to see what materials are going to work best in your body. There's heavy metal testing, uh, nutritional testing, even stool testing. I mean, all those things are just kind of bonuses. But the big one, I would say, is to see if someone's certified SMART through the IAMT and make sure that they have um, the good imaging systems. Awesome. That was all super helpful. Uh, you said the word biocompatible twice. Can you just explain what that means? Yeah, biocompatibility is basically looking at what works in the most friendly way with your body. So like um, a metal implant for someone who has metal allergies is not going to be biocompatible compared to a ceramic implant. So nothing is going to be the same as your, you know, real tooth, but using materials that are, that just work more safely with the body is always, always better. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Um, all right. So we're kind of doing this as like a rapid fire, like question and answer, because I just want to get as much information into your hands as possible, you guys, for the listeners. So we have another question. It's from a listener. It's Elise. She's in Lee, New Hampshire. And she asks, how can I eat to help out my teeth? I just went to the dentist, got some x-rays and found out that I need to get four teeth filled and replace the fillings or replace the fillings. Part of me wants to just blame it all on my recent pregnancy because it's fun to blame everything on pregnancy, breastfeeding, and babies. That's fact. But the other part of me is thinking maybe I should be looking to food and supplements to help and support from the inside. I started to look into it on my own and got overwhelmed. So Kristen, talk to us a little bit about this. This happened to me when I was pregnant. I got my first root canal. They started my first root canal. After I had Hattie, it was like my mouth fell apart. My whole body fell apart, but like my mouth was one of those things that just, it went, everything went to pot. Um, and I hear that's like kind of a common thing. I, I think it's an old wives tale, one child, one tooth, like meaning mm -hmm. every baby you have, you lose a tooth. So like, why does this happen? Why do, do our mouths just fall apart after having babies? And, you know, I think it's like, Obviously, we pull on a lot of our own body's resources in order to raise children and uh, or to grow children and, and breastfeed them and all that. But can nutrition have an overall impact on oral health and the health of our teeth? What's going on? Yeah, absolutely. There's so much here. Um, okay, where do we even start? So, okay, with cavities, the number one thing that causes cavities is definitely diet. Um, sugar, um, sugar in so many ways, it, it's more than just eating the sugar. Um, there's two doctors, Steinman and Leonora, who did a lot of research on this. And there's actually a, um, endocrine relationship with your tooth health. 
So I'm going to try to simplify this because it's pretty complicated and I have a I have a long post on this on my blog. So you can go over and read the blog if you want more details. Um, but basically a healthy tooth is supposed to sweat. So think of like nutrients and blood flow coming into the tooth and then it's all kind of like has this outward outward movement to it. So sugar and diet and nutrition plays a role in this because sugar actually causes a physical stress to the body and studies show that when sugar is injected into mice like injected into their bellies like it completely bypasses their mouth it actually causes a reversal of that fluid flow so then instead of the tooth like everything going out things start going in so then opportunistic bacteria any sugars that are actually in the mouth those can all cause cavities and that's that's one of the um additional theories of what causes cavities besides just like sugar and acid um, but there's other things that play a role in causing cavities. So sugar's probably one of the biggest ones, especially in our country right now. But stress, stress can cause a reversal of adenal fluid flow, lack of exercise, hormones, and even certain bacteria that cause dysbiosis like strep overgrowth. So all these things, when you think of women who are pregnant and who have just delivered and have young children, probably they're not eating optimally. And two, I'm sure they're stressed. And the third thing that plays into this is lack of minerals and nutrients especially during gestation like your body whatever the baby needs the baby's going to get so your body will pull from your stores and if it doesn't have enough vitamin d or enough calcium or enough magnesium it literally will pull from your bones and pull from your teeth to make sure that your baby gets it so i think there's there's so many components to this but that is one of those really big things and in order to um counteract that people ideally to reverse to reverse like this uh, chronic decay issue it's reducing sugar eating super healthy which Erin you can help everyone with this um, most people end up needing to supplement with d3 and k2 um, and then minerals making sure you're getting enough minerals i mean i take a trace mineral supplement every day i just have these um, drops concentrate drops and I, I pour those in my water just to make sure i'm getting enough minerals um, and then reducing stress i mean that just goes so far are you implying that new moms might be a little stressed? <laughs> I mean, I'm not a mom yet, but from what I've heard, it's one of the hardest things you go through, <laughs> but most rewarding too. Uh, yes, agreed. Um, all right. So and you, like you touched on two big ones, vitamin D, magnesium. I see so much deficiency in both of those things in my practice. So we're basically like going into pregnancy with mineral vitamin deficiencies and then our whatever you're saying, like whatever the baby needs, the baby's going to get. So then we're just left in this super depleted state. Add to that the stress, add to that poor diet, and it's kind of a recipe for disaster for the mouth. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's talk a little bit. I had mentioned that I got a root canal um, or they started the process when I was pregnant, which I was freaking out about, obviously. Um, obviously I didn't take any medication for it. So it was like a really painful process. But, um, when I went to my biological dentist, they kind of were like, oh my God, you have a root canal. And I was, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, no. I know they did this. I don't even know what kind of, they did. They offered me a test to look for whether or not the tooth was caught, like was, I don't know, was causing my body stress. Um, and I didn't take the test cause I was already doing so many things at that point anyway, but that was the first time in my 34 years that I had ever heard something about a root canal being not great. 
So this is like so far beyond the scope of my knowledge. Um, so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that and understanding that people in our audience, myself included, probably have or at least one root canal because it's pretty common practice. So, you know, we're not trying to put the fear of God in anybody, but at the right, same time, right. we want to make sure everybody has this information. So can you talk to us a little bit about root canals and your philosophy around them? Yeah. Yes. So, okay. First thing is that it's better to have a root canal than to have a chronic infection that's um, ongoing in your mouth. So just want to put that out there, that a root canal is not necessarily a bad choice. It might not be a permanent, the best permanent choice, maybe not something you live with for the rest of your life, but um, it's still better than having a um, silent chronic infection that is unaddressed. So let me back up and just talk about what a root canal is for a second. First of all, I'm already feeling so much better. So thank you for saying okay, that. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't want, I don't want anyone to be scared. I mean, this is just, this is all about education so you can make the best decision for what's right for you. And I mean, if, if your front tooth gets knocked and you need a root canal to hold onto it, to hold the space, I mean, there's, there's purpose. It, it can definitely serve a purpose. So um, let's talk about why teeth need root canals. The, the main reason that teeth need root canals is one, because a cavity gets into a tooth and it ends up getting into the nerve. And once a tooth becomes infected, there's no way to reverse the infection. Um, so then you're looking at doing a root canal. And what a root canal is, is when usually it's a specialist, they go in and they remove the main nerve supply and the main blood supply of the tooth. So it removes the... Um, the nerves, you don't feel anything, but it also removes the immune system of the tooth. So then what happens is um, only the, since only the main area was removed, your, your tooth structure actually has thousands of thousands of tiny microtubules that go from the outside to the inside where the nerve is. So if you were to actually lay out all the dental tubules, it would cover a tennis court. So your teeth are very, 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 um, they have a lot of really unique structure to them. And what happens is that when a root canal is done, the bacteria that are just in that main big canal, of course, they they get into the smaller, littler canals. And those are the areas that the specialist, because it's so small, can't remove. And so what happens is these bacteria, now that the blood supply and the immune system's out of the tooth, these bacteria have a party in your mouth, like a party. And it's always the gram-negative um, anaerobic bacteria that don't need oxygen to thrive, and they produce these things called endo and exotoxins, which then, when you chew on that tooth, those get released into your lymph stream, which then gets into your bloodstream, and blah, blah, blah. It can cause, you know, some chronic issues. So the reason, the reason that people, some practitioners, um, and the research backs this up as well, agree that root canals are probably not the best systemic option is because those bacteria can go to other parts of your body. It's almost the same thing as periodontal disease. Like people know that gum disease is linked with heart disease. It's, it's for the same reason. It's just because the bacteria that live in your gums and that live in your teeth in these dark area that don't need oxygen, they thrive. And then they get, you know, they get into your bloodstream and go to other parts of your body. And that, that just causes issues. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so what, if you, if somebody does have a root canal, what's your suggestion? What would be the next steps? So like, this is something that I eventually want to address myself. So what would be the next steps for someone like myself? Yeah, good question. So what you can do if you are seeing a biologic dentist, um, if you want to keep the tooth and you want to keep the root canal, well, actually, let me back up. The first thing I would say is there's a really, really amazing book and I got to listen to him lecture 
um, about a year ago now. His name is Dr. Thomas Levy. He's a cardiologist and a lawyer. He wrote a book called, he's written a couple books, but the one that I'd recommend is called The Toxic Tooth. And he goes into the science behind root canals and he couldn't figure out why his patients in his practice weren't getting better. Like they were still having heart issues and um, inflammation issues. And the lecture to um, that was given to us was just, it was mind blowing. And his book pretty much takes you through what he, what he talked to us about. Um, so that's a really amazing resource for anyone who's on the fence. Um, in the meantime, though, what you can do is ask your biologic dentist to do um, ozone injections in the area. Um, they can just use, they'll probably have to get you numb, uh, but they can do um, an infiltration or they can use something called an X-tip, which actually is going to sound a little bit harsh, but it actually goes through the bone a little bit and it infiltrates the ozone exactly to where the roots of the teeth are. And that helps kill any bacteria in the area. And that'll last for a couple of weeks. Um, and so that's one option. If you want to make sure that your bacterial load isn't growing while maintaining the tooth in your mouth, that's like one conservative option. Uh, the next option really would be to just have the tooth extracted because unfortunately there's no way to, there's just no way to clean out all of the microtubules in the tooth. Um, and then you're going to have this, if you choose to get the tooth extracted, you'll have a space there. And then the options for replacing that space, um, depending on where it is, it can either be an implant or a bridge or a denture. Um, one comment I want to make about bridges, and this might be too, too much detail, but um, bridges are a permanent restoration that gets cemented to two adjacent teeth. So it's almost like you have a missing tooth that's filled in by this um, this um, like little little appliance. It's pretty much um, it's like a three unit thing that would all be cemented on your tooth. But what ends up happening there is that the two teeth that are taking all those biting forces that it, that space where it's filled in is connected to those two teeth on the adjacent side end up taking so many biting forces that that can in turn cause trauma to the tooth, which can cause a root canal needing a root canal. So I, I always caution people to um, weigh the options heavily. Implants probably really are the best the best option long-term, depending on your health and your age and kind of where the space is. Are, implants are generally pretty darn expensive, right? Is that why people steer, kind of might choose another option? Um, implants are a little bit more expensive than a bridge, but they're going to last a lot longer. And okay. the other downside to a bridge is that if you don't have any fillings or restorations on those two adjacent teeth, um, you have to prep those teeth for crowns. You need to remove healthy tooth structure and um, like drill down on those healthy teeth. So I'm not a huge fan of bridges. Um, they, they serve a great purpose and they're actually better for like the front of the mouth where less biting forces are happening, but not ideal, just in my opinion, for um, back teeth. Okay, cool. So obviously Kristen's going to give us a ton of information during this hour or so, but if you do want to get some information on your own, I'll be sure to link to that book that you recommended because it sounds like a good one. Um, just a side note here, Thomas Levy sounds like an overachiever, cardiologist, <laughs> I know. lawyer, I was like, author. Yes. I know. He's amazing. He's, he's brilliant. He's fantastic. Um, all right. Kyle had a question. So she just recently got um, her mercury amalgams removed and she got from her functional medicine doctor, she got that SMART protocol, the, the one that you were telling us about before. Yep. And so she went to her, because she doesn't have a biological dentist, she just has a conventional dentist. She went to her dentist 
with that smart protocol. She's like, this is what I need to have happen. And he totally agreed. He totally complied with all of the instructions. Um, it was a, it was covered by an insurance, so it was really affordable. Um, I did not have that same experience. I called up my conventional dentist and I said, here's what I'm looking to do. I need to get some mercury am amalgams removed. And his exact response was, our philosophy is it's been living in your mouth for for the past you know 10 plus years. It's certainly not going to it's not going to be any more toxic to remove it. So we don't do any of those protocols. Um, so you really do have to, some, you know, some, it's, some conventional dentists will be willing to work with you. Some may not. So just a heads up there. Um, since you talked a lot about mercury in your experience with it, I really want to dive into the nitty gritty with this. Um, what's what's the deal with mercury like why I just feel like it's so weird how we run things in this country we're like oh mercury is one of the most toxic substances known to man sure let's just put it in our mouths that sounds like a good plan so what's the deal like is it it's clearly not good for us um if you know I kind of gave you a bunch of bullet point questions that I want to fire through do you want me to just like rip them off like a band-aid or do you want me to pick through them one by one <laughs> your your choice i think um i think that's so awesome that kyle's dentist was willing to do that though and i love hearing that because i hope i'm hoping that more people more practitioners eyes are going to be open to this and then more people are going to ask for it and then it's going to transform dentistry so that all dentists will be biologic yeah you know it's it doesn't feel good Fortunately, I'm a sassy broad and doesn't bother me too much, but um, it doesn't feel too good when you call up your healthcare practitioner with a concern and they basically like laugh you off. Like, you're oh, yeah. crazy. You've spent too much time on Google. Now go away, little girl. Go away. Let the, right. let the right. big guys handle this. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. I mean, the, 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 at least you can ask, right? That's the least the least that you can do. So anyway, uh, let's let's talk about mercury amalgams. Let's start with why are they dangerous to begin with? Okay, so mercury fillings, um, or okay, people know them as amalgam fillings or silver fillings. They really should be called mercury amalgam fillings because they are made up of over 50% um, liquid mercury, elemental mercury, and that gets mixed with copper, silver, and tin. Um, and what makes them so dangerous is that mercury is one of the most dangerous neurotoxin known to humans. I think last time I looked it up, it was like the second most dangerous neurotoxin, I think to plutonium. Um, it's just, it's, it's so toxic. It is constantly, um, leaking vapor on amalgam fillings and it just, it, re it just wreaks havoc on your whole system. There's a lot of reasons why it's dangerous, but it's just, it causes, it just causes major toxicity and it's not something that humans can always easily, um, detox. Okay. What should we do if we have them? Okay. So because many of us listening are children of the eighties and we have a mouthful of metal right now. Right. So the first, the, what I don't want you to do is go run out to your, I don't want you to get scared and I don't want you to go run to any dentist and have them take them out. I would say, um, the placing and removing, like I said earlier, is the most critical um, component of doing this safely. So let me give you an example. So if, if a thermometer were to break in a school, um, it would be roughly around 10 
micrograms of mercury. Hazmat would have to get called in because this is like way above OSHA standards. Hazmat will come in and they would have to clean up the school and it would probably be closed for about two weeks. So when mercury fillings are placed and removed, the, the heat generated specifically from the removal process of the burr hitting the um, metal filling, it generates a lot of heat, which then turns the mercury liquid into a vapor, which is, it can highly penetrate um, cell membranes. It's, it's, it's really bad. So the vapor, when studies look at the amount of vapor that is released from an amalgam filling during the removal process, remember that 10 is when hazmat gets called for um, a thermometer breaking. The mercury removal process goes over 500. And that's just for taking out one filling. So no wonder I got so sick because I was placing and removing tons of these, probably like five, five to 10 a day, um, five days a week, my first year out of school. And that's not including the time that I was in school. So the, um, the removal process is, is vital. If you can find, like, if you never see a biologic dentist ever again, I would say go see them or have your dentist do the safety protocol um, for the removal process. That is like the most important thing. Otherwise, I would wait. I would leave them in your mouth until you can get them safely removed because I've seen so many patients who've gotten sick by having them removed improperly. Um, yeah. I've also heard that it's not something like, let's say, Kyle's kind of a balls-to-the-wall type of gal. She just got them all removed in one fell swoop. But I've heard that that can be potentially problematic for some people. Is that true or not? I've heard that yeah. you want to kind of get them done like one at a time, kind of go slow with the removal process. Yeah, it, so it depends. It kind of depends on your health and where you are. Um, I think that's best to gauge with your functional medicine doctor or your practitioner and your dentist and see someone who's super toxic in a lot of other ways. Maybe should only do like one quadrant at a time. I only, I mean, my, my personal philosophy is I only remove the right side or the left side. Like you can do um, like the upper right or the lower right or even both of them, but you don't want to cross the midline. And that's a Hal Huggins protocol. Um, based off of some neurological symptoms that can happen if you do cross the midline. So I don't ever cross the midline, um, but that's just, that's just one thing I do. Um, the other really interesting fact is that, this is another Hal Huggins thing, um, he said that you really should not do anything on, so let's say you were to get your amalgam filling, or, yeah, yeah, your amalgam filling is taken out on Monday, you don't want to do another traumatic amalgam removal on either 7, 14, or 21 days because the way that the immune cycle works and the immune system works is that it's on like a 7, 14, 21-day cycle. So you do not want to have major insults on one of those days. So let's say your first amalgam removal is on Monday the 1st. Your second one, you'd want to wait at least, like I would say, 24 to 48 hours but then do it maybe like the following Tuesday or the following Wednesday, but not the following Monday because that would be day seven. Oh, that's so interesting. I had never heard anything like that before. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you had mentioned neurological symptoms, right? What are other symptoms and signs that we might have issues with mercury toxicity? I mean, obviously yours, you had you had like a kind of a full-blown systemic breakdown, um, but what would be other signs to look for? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, there's cardiovascular issues. You can have cardiovascular problems. You can have skin rashes and skin issues, like a red raised rash. Um, any type of endocrine dysfunction, any type of hormone imbalance, um, general fatigue. I mean, because mercury really affects 
your mitochondria. Um, it damages your mitochondria. So uh, ins insomnia, um, even like headaches, um, immune system impairments, um, autoimmune diseases, mood changes. This is a big one, like irritability, depression, excitability, mood swings, um, even like nervousness, um, tremors, um, having like shakiness, weight loss, anorexia, um, and even like cognitive, like neurological impairments, like memory loss or difficulty with verbal processing. Those are all big ones. And I had, I definitely had some neurological symptoms going on. I got to the point even where I had this really weird thing happen to me where I would be just like walking and I would have my eyes, my, my vision would almost go like double. I went and saw an eye doctor and no one could figure out what it was. I was in, that was my, I was in my fourth year of dental school at that point. Um, and now I'm like, oh my gosh, that was totally mercury poisoning. Oh my gosh, that's so wild. You just basically yeah. covered every single symptom you could ever have from top and that, to tail. And that's, yeah, and that's why it's so, it's so Everybody hard. listening right now is like, I, I have it, I have it. <laughs> yep, I have it. I know, I know, I know. That's why it's, it's so hard. But but um, dentistry and amalgams are the number one contributor to mercury toxicity. I mean, it's, it's in our environment, but like the reason that the fish are often so toxic is because dentists are outputting mercury into the air and not, and not doing it safely. They don't have... Um, an amalgam separator. They don't have all these vacuums and these ion generators in place to capture it and, you know, make it safer for the environment. So that's why I'm, I'm really passionate. Obviously, I'm really passionate about this. <laughs> I know. I think it's so crazy how much we talk about mercury and fish and like, don't eat sushi, but everyone's walking around with like a mouthful of, of mercury. It's exactly. so weird. <laughs> yes. Um, you had also mentioned um, candida. So candida being uh, feeding off of mercury. So I'm curious if, you know, if somebody was struggling with candida or another type of dysbiosis um, that just couldn't clear, uh, that might be something to look into. Would you agree? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And one of the biggest issues I see is that people are trying to treat candida, but they're not treating the heavy metal issues. And candida actually is a protective, it's your body's way of protecting you because the biofilm that candida creates actually is a place where your body will push the mercury. It'll go get stored there. So instead of getting stored in like your brain or your liver, it'll get stored in your gut and in, in the candida. And so when people start taking these huge like biofilm busters and start breaking down the candida, it can release all of these heavy metals. So it's really, 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 really important that you find a practitioner who knows and understands this and can take you through a detox protocol that will effectively start working the heavy metals first before addressing the candida. Oh my God. This is so, this is like the type of information that I live for. My jaw is just like on the floor right now. <laughs> Good. Um, okay. So what are, how do, how do you know if you have it? I mean, outside of symptoms, are there specific tests that you can get done? And if so, can you talk us through those and also indicate whether they're functional tests, like you'd have to go to a functional medicine practitioner to get them, or if they're tests that your general practitioner could do? Cause I know that's a question a lot of people will have. Yeah. You mean for candida? Oh no, I'm sorry for, for mercury or heavy oh, metal toxicity. Yeah. Okay. So there's a couple of tests you can run. All of the ones that I know of are functional. Yeah. They're pretty much functional labs. Um, so three that come to mind, there's so quick, I don't know if, if any of the listeners have heard of Quicksilver. Um, Chris Shade started this company and it's really heavy focused on heavy metal detox because he was so personally affected by it. I think he had like 25 amalgams in his mouth. Um, anyways, he's brilliant. And he has the best mercury test on the market. It looks at urine, blood, and hair. Um, really, really 
gives you good information. The only downside to the test is that if you do have the MTHFR mutation, um, it often won't show up in the test. And this is what happened to me. And Chris, had actually personally looked at my test and he was like, oh no, I know you're practicing conventional dentistry still and this is wrong. He's like, and this is the only downside to our test is that if you have um, SNP mutations, um, the mercury will be getting stored in your body, like in your fat cells, in your fatty tissues, and it's not going to be in your blood, hair, or urine. So the, these te- the, the, it's called um, the tri-test. Great for like recent exposure or people who don't have these SNPs, but I, I don't always recommend this test just because it doesn't always show, um, it doesn't give you your total body burden, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. And then the other two tests, well, probably only one other test that I would look for for mercury. You could, it doesn't actually show mercury, but it shows candida and it shows depleted glutathione would be the organic acids test by Great Plains Lab. That's just an awesome test to run because it gives you so many. And I think you you run that, right? I do run that, yep. Yeah, that gives you so many markers. So that's that's my other favorite one. And is that sort of what, what you guys, you and Jessica were looking at when when she tipped, you know, kind of tipped you off to the whole mercury thing? No, actually that, she was just looking at my um, candida antibody. So that you could run through LabCorp. You could just run all the antibodies, IgG, IgM, IgA to candida. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, now you had mentioned SNPs. I'm not entirely sure how familiar our audience is with MTHFR and other um, single nucleotide polymorphisms, but... Um, so if you want to just like summarize that in a one to two sentence, um, um, wrap up, but also what does that have to do with our ability to detoxify mercury? I mean, you kind of hit on it earlier, but if you could just expand on that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, I'll try to make this as simple as possible. Basically certain genes play a role in detoxification and depending on if you have certain mutations in those genes your body's ability to detox may be compromised. So for me, I have two um, mutations in these genes, these certain genes, and my body's ability to detox mercury is 25% as effective as someone who does not have these genes. So I'm working on a much lower level detoxing mercury, which is probably one of the reasons I got so sick. Because, I mean, I see these patients that have had mercury in their mouths their whole life, and like they're fine, like they're healthy and they're fine. And I mean, I think they're fine, at least. I don't really know on the cellular level, but they're walking and they're, they don't have any issues. So I think genetics um, and your personal um, triggers and antecedents and your um, environment really do play a role in how well you can detox mercury. Um, and there, there's more SNPs that go into play, but MTHFR is probably the best known one. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Where did you get your, um, your testing done for those? I just did, I did 23andMe. Um, They don't give you, so what you have to do with that though is you have to, you do the 23andMe, then you have to download your raw data and then you have to put it into a program that then spits out your SNPs. And even still, because I've worked with clients around this, even still with that, it's still a a tricky thing for the the average consumer to understand. Don't you agree? I mean, we're both functional practitioners, so it's a little bit different for like, for somebody you should probably work with a practitioner in order to make sense of those. Yes. And when I first did this, I was working with my functional medicine doctor. So I would definitely recommend that everyone find someone who's versed in this. If if you want to go down this road and really dive into this, then that I would definitely find someone who knows what they're doing. 
for sure. Um, and I'm the reason. The only reason I bring that up is because 23andMe are, are the tests are so popular right now, and I just kind of chuckle to myself because I'm like, what is what is everybody doing with that with that data? Because it's so hard to decipher. And I right. I have to exactly back up what you just said is that detox detox detoxing excuse me from heavy metals mercury is no joke and you can actually run the risk of getting a lot sicker so this is not something that you want to do by yourself i highly 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 recommend working with a skilled practitioner i this is not something that i even do in my practice um i kind of leave it to leave it to more skilled physicians because it's it's no joke would you agree with that Kristen? 100 percent like this isn't something where you go pick up a book and then you start drinking like green juice every day. And right. Just, like, yeah, no, the no, best. No, no. Yes. No, no. <laughs> um, with all due res- respect to green juice drinkers. Um, <laughs> okay. So this is a question that I'm dying to ask you. Let's talk about metal toxicity because mercury is just one metal, right? So can you talk about like if you react how if you if you react to one metal you chances are you're going to start reacting to other metals and specifically why women start reacting to jewelry because I see this all the time it happened after I had Hattie um, like all of a sudden I couldn't wear jewelry anymore it was my like earrings bothered me I started getting rashes on my fingers where rings were and this is a really common thing I feel like that I'm seeing a lot lately so can you speak to that a little bit Yeah so so in dentistry, obviously, there's there's lots of metals um, that can be involved. And what what I've seen and what I've learned is that if you are slightly reactive to one metal, and it might even be that it's subclinical, like you might not have, like you might not experience that rash that you're getting um, or, you know, whatever whatever your symptoms are. Um, if, if you have an allergy to one metal, it is literally just a matter of time until you develop allergies to the other metals that you're constantly around. So um, even though in dentistry, like even if you're not allergic to titanium, um, if you get a titanium implant, it's just a matter of time until you're probably going to start reacting to it, which is why I um, I really only recommend um, having a ceramic implant placed. So this is, I mean, it's the same thing for jewelry. So if, if, you're, if you are reactive to jewelry, then you 100% do not want metal in your mouth, especially implanted into your body. Um, and I even, you know, it's funny because I worked in an ortho office for so long when I was a teenager. That's actually how I found dentistry. Um, sometimes children, even if they're perfect brushers, they have really, really, really swollen, red, inflamed, bleeding gums. And it can be so frustrating. And what I've learned is that um, molybdenum is actually in, it's a metal, it's in the brackets of braces and that can actually trigger a type one diabetes from the metal allergy. So you gotta be really careful with metals. And um, I think it's just, if you can avoid them, especially in your mouth, in your, in your body, um, or at least if it's an earring, obviously you can take that out. So that's not as big of a deal, but something that's gonna be more permanent, it's really, I just, I, just be careful. <laughs> so stay away from plastics. Stay away from metals. Nothing is safe. It's all killing you. It's so hard. I know. It's so hard. But it makes sense that to have a foreign substance implanted into your body, like, it it makes sense how that would start to react. And even just now as I'm talking to you, like, I had a tongue ring at one point in my life. I had my nose pierced. I was injecting metals into areas of my body that um, 
they had no business being. So this is all like pretty, pretty darn fascinating to hear. Yeah. And it, and it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier that, that, um, biocompatible, right? Like metals aren't probably aren't biocompatible with our body. Right. Okay. Um, and it also makes sense why some women might experience this postpartum because it's like what we talked about earlier. It's basically just a big crap storm where our body burden due to the stress, due to the nutrient insufficiencies, like our body burden just starts to go high. And I found that once I started reacting to one thing, I started reacting to everything, right? So it wasn't just the jewelry. All of a sudden it was like smells bothered me. I couldn't be around people with perfume. It was just like, I feel like my beaker just got full and then it started overflowing and I just reacted to everything across the board. Um, which I, you know, I'm sure that you, you see that quite a bit too. Yep, I do. Um, all right. And that's you guys, I'm this, this upcoming, this fall, I'm teaching a bunch of, um, detoxification workshops and I'm going to get into a lot of this more, more in detail. So just pay attention to, um, to when those are on my schedule, uh, if you want to learn more. Okay. Kyle had another question about cavities. We talked about this a little bit already, but pretty much like every single time she went to the the dentist growing up and even now, like she always had some type of major malfunction, like whether it was a filling or a root canal or crown. Um, she thought it had to do with the fact that she ate a lot of candy when she was little or she didn't brush her teeth before bed or didn't floss. And that sounds like it definitely could be the case. But um, she was curious because she's heard that bad teeth run in the family could this be more of a genetic predisposition like let's say your parents have poor teeth oral health does that mean you're gonna have it um okay couple couple things on this point so the last study that i read about this pretty much compared um twins and they looked at brushing habits and resulting cavities and Pretty much the results of the study showed that it had nothing to do with genetics and completely had to do with oral care and oral hygiene. That being said, I so think- So Kyle is just dirty. She just has a dirty mouth. <laughs> she just has a dirty mouth. I really she's like talking crap gosh. about Kyle when she's not here to defend herself. <laughs> Poor Kyle. Poor Kyle. Okay, wait, no, because I, I, I have something here that's going to defend her a little bit. Um, so what can happen if- if you are deficient in vitamin D, in vitamin K, in calcium, in magnesium, you or or your mother was deficient and maybe you didn't get enough as an infant, um, when your teeth are you know developing even as like an embryo, um, there could I mean I haven't I haven't like seen publications on this yet, but there could possibly be, I mean maybe maybe, but I would say majority of cavities are often caused by um, the too much of the wrong bacteria, too much sugar, too much stress, not enough nutrients, not enough minerals, and the wrong diet. Okay, so lots of different reasons. Um, and we, did you say, I didn't really quite hear you, did you say that mom's oral health while pregnant can impact? Did you say that or am I just making that up? Um, well, well, I would I would say like, um, not like exactly their, their oral health, but... If so, when moms kiss their babies on the lips, you as a mom will transfer your bacteria to your child's mouth. 
So that is how we come, we become inoculated with this bacteria. So really, ideally, like the mouth oh. is supposed to be a sterile environment, and it's not because I mean because we all share saliva, share drinks, everything. Um, so swapping saliva like that. If so, if mom is cavity prone. I would say moms don't be like making out with your babies, you know, and swapping any spit or even like touching their lips with your mouth because that can that can transfer the the um, cavity causing bacteria to your baby. So Leslie, if you're listening, you probably just should have kept your mouth to yourself <laughs> and saved Kyle a lot of medical bills. Okay, that's really that's interesting though. I mean, this is all just good information. I don't think yeah. any mom listening is not going to kiss her baby, but at least right. it's just interesting. It just gives you right. Like it, yep. Um, but you you know you just talked a lot about bacteria. So let's talk. We all have heard about the gut microbiome and all the bacteria that live in our large intestine. Um, we don't really hear so much about the the microbiome that's in our mouth. But you know you're talking about all this bacteria in our mouth. Does one have to do with the other, like the health of your gut? Does it have to do with the health of your mouth and vice versa? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, your gut really does start in your mouth. I mean, that's where it starts. So you swallow thousands of times a day. So everything that's in your mouth is being swallowed and going into your gut. So if you've got candida issues going on in your mouth because of mercury fillings, because of biofilms that you're not brushing off, I mean, all those things you swallow and it goes to your gut and then your gut has to deal with it or not deal with it and can become infected there too. So one, one really cool study that I read about showed that people who, um, I think it was if you brush and floss after every meal, um, they did stool tests before and after this, and just one week of brushing and flossing after every single meal reduced candida and improved outcomes on your stool test, which Get is so out. awesome. No yes. way. Isn't that so cool? Yes. That is so cool. Well, just like, it's just like such an easy, tangible thing to do. Yes. That and we I mean, can all the, do, you the know. Bacteria, yeah, and the bacteria in your mouth, it forms um, a biofilm, which is like a, like a sticky... Um, like gooey, really hard to break up. It needs to be like physically disrupted, which is why brushing and flossing is so important. And I'm sure we'll get into like what what I recommend doing, but 100% everyone needs to be flossing on a daily basis, ideally at night and um, brushing at least at least twice a day. All right. Well, since you're already talking about it, what what other things would you throw in there? So let's talk about the most important things that we can be doing for or- oral care. So sounds like brushing and flossing, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, brushing, brushing, brushing and flossing, um, tongue scraping. That's huge because there's a lot of bacteria that lives in your tongue. So I have a copper tongue scraper, but anything, I mean, you could even use the back of a spoon. I mean, you could just use like the edge of a spoon, anything to just get that um, layer off your tongue, especially in the morning and at night. Uh, that grosses me out so much. I'm one of those weird people that like, <laughs> I cannot handle saliva. Like give me throw up and poop over saliva any day. Like really? Oh my gosh. Oh, saliva just, is like the cleanest. I can't handle it. It like, I'm sweating thinking about it. Like uh, even That's my so own funny. saliva, but okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get myself a copper tongue scraper and I'm going to do it all for my oral care. And then, you know, the other thing, um, Taking, like, people, I don't know, everyone's doing different things. Some people eat, like, a few small meals a day. Some people are doing intermittent fasting. But when you are constantly eating, the pH of your mouth stays very acidic. And this can contribute to the growth of bacteria. And what's interesting is that um, your small intestine actually does, like, a sweep every couple hours. So if you can wait at least, like, three to five hours in between mealtimes, 
you're benefiting your mouth because it allows the pH to return to normal. And then you're also benefiting your small intestine and reducing your chance for SIBO um, by taking those breaks and gaps between eating. And letting the migrating motor complex do its thing, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, oh, that's really cool. Um, I'm learning so much today. Okay. Oh, good. All right. So a few more questions here. Now, sleep apnea, this is not something that's really on my radar. Well, I shouldn't say that. It's just not something I talk about that frequently. But when we were together in Santa Fe, I felt like you talked about it a lot. It seems to be something that you see quite a bit in your practice. So can you tell us, like, why is it so important to you? Yeah. So majority of our patients, and I don't know if it's just because I'm in like the DC Maryland um, area, but majority of our patients clench and grind. And when I first started practicing before I moved into biologic um, dentistry, clenching was just, oh, it's because you're stressed. It's because you're stressed. Well, there's actually a lot more to it than that. It is because you're stressed, but it's not just because you're stressed because, you know, you had a bad day at work. It's stressed because your body, a lot of times, it's because your body thinks that it's dying because it's not getting enough oxygen. So what happens is um, people who clench and grind, you tighten up the muscles in your face and your cheeks um, and like grit your teeth together because what it does is it relaxes the muscles in your neck. So that opens your airway so your body can get more oxygen because when you're sleeping, you should be in like rest and digest and recovery and healing mode. But when you're not breathing, you're not able to get into that mode, which then causes adrenal issues. Um, it just causes, you know, every, so many issues. So sleep apnea or any sleep disordered breathing. So clenching and grinding, snoring, even if your children are clenching and grinding, that is a huge sign that their airway is not wide enough and they're not able to get enough oxygen um, while they're sleeping. And people who um, also, ideally you want to be breathing through your nose. I mean, people who are mouth breathers, it's less than ideal. So making sure that your airway is open and functioning is, is really, really key if you want to live your healthiest life. Now, how would you know if that was the case? Is there a certain test that can be done? Yeah. So a couple things. Um, that cone beam, that 3D imaging system that I talked about that hopefully your dentist or someone nearby has that you can get done, that can evaluate your airway. It's not um, like a final say, but you can at least look at that and be like, oh yeah, you definitely have a restricted airway or nope, your airway is huge. Like we think you're probably good. Um, that's one way is looking at a cone beam. And then the really the best way is to do a sleep study. So in our practice, we actually have home sleep studies. So we can send patients home with a kit and they do it in the comfort of their own home. Not, I don't know if everyone will have this. Um, the other alternative is to go do a sleep study, have your physician um, recommend you do a sleep study and do it that way. But that's, that's like the best way to figure out if you have this. But I'm telling you the patients that we see, once we get them into a, um, oral functional sleep appliance. Um, some of them widen the airway. Some of them just move your lower jaw forward. It really just depends um, on each individual person. But once we get them into an appliance and they're sleeping better, they are like a whole new person. They're like, I feel so energetic during the day. I'm not falling asleep all the time. I'm not tired. I'm not cranky. My I've lost weight. My hunger's gone down. I mean, so many amazing things happen when you're actually sleeping well. Yeah. Sleep is everything. Okay. It's everything. <laughs> all right. That is all super helpful information. Um, all right. Let's just do a few more rapid fire questions. Fluoride toothpaste, yay or nay? Oh, definitely no. Definitely, definitely no. What's so bad about fluoride? It's fluoride, in our drinking water. So Yeah, I know. It's terrible. It's, uh, it's that, That's a whole political issue that I'm not going to get into. But 
Um, <laughs> kind of wish you would. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on that. Maybe next one. <laughs> um, so fluoride has no biological purpose in the body whatsoever. It is it is it is toxic and it binds to um, it'll bind to places where iodine should be, like your thyroid. Fluoride actually used to be used as a hyperthyroid treatment. So all of us who are walking around with hypothyroidism, um, which is increasing all yeah, the time, which is by like the way, a lot of us, right? A lot of us. Um, th- uh, thyroid fluoride used to be used to treat hyperthyroidism. So I mean, it's just it's 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 bad. It's just it's really it's toxic. I mean, there's so many cancer articles I've read on fluoride, and I would I would it's your choice, but uh, my recommendation would be to avoid fluoride. Yes, we are a fluoride-free home up in here. Excellent. Um, what can you talk about some of your favorite toothpaste brands? Yeah, sure. So I've tried a lot. Um, I like so I like one called Tooth and Gum. Um, they have a great mouthwash and they have a great toothpaste. They're really really good. It's an herbal company. They're they have awesome products. Can you get um, that? Where can you get that? Do you have to get um, that through a dentist? I mean, I I don't I think. Oh, that's a good question. No, I think you can just buy it as um, I think you can just buy it online. I think, but I'm not sure about that. All right, I'll look and see if, if I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes if I can find it online. And then another one I know you can buy this one online. It's called Aqua Essence. Um, that's a really really great one. And then if you have sensitive teeth, my favorite one is um, by a brand called Squiggle S Q U I G L E, and it's called Tooth Builder. And if you have sensitive areas or recession, like you can put some of this on those areas and just like go to bed with it sitting in your teeth and that, that can really help. So if you had like gum recession, you're saying that could help with that? Yeah. Yep. Gum recession. Or even if you're trying to remineralize an area, um, something like, especially if it's in between your teeth, you could put, um, a little bit like rub it on some floss and then floss. So it kind of gets in between your teeth and then just go to bed. Oh, I'm going to get that today. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's a good toothpaste. What about favorite toothbrush? Ooh, I'm partial to the Oral-B. I really like the, I mean, I'm, yeah, the Oral-B Sonicare. The Sonicare. Sorry, not the Oral-B. It's the Sonicare toothbrush. <laughs> you are Oral-B. switching teams quickly. I know. <laughs> I'm talking too fast. Um, Oral-B and Sonicare are the two big ones. I personally like the Sonicare, um, but it's like team Sonicare, team Oral-B, whichever one. They're both great. I think they both make you slow down and they make you brush for two minutes and they're just, they're really good at removing the biofilms compared to manual because when someone's brushing manually, you're not always hundred percent paying attention to what you're doing. So it's easy to get distracted. And this just kind of does the hard part for you. Um, it's kind of like blend tech versus Vitamix. Yes. Um, they're exactly. both great. Um, so I base off our conversations in Santa Fe, I went, I got a Sonicare. And I can't believe how clean my teeth feel after I'm like, what have I been doing all of these years? I have not been brushing my teeth. Right. (laughs) Good. I'm so literally my mom bought me a Sonicare for Christmas one time. And this was before I was in dental school. And I was like, a toothbrush, like this is kind of boring. I don't know. I just left it in the box. I didn't even open it. I opened it a couple months later and I was like, what was I thinking? This is the best thing ever. <laughs> I, so I had texted you cause there were so many options. Like some of them went up to $200. I'm like, I'm not going to spend $200 on a toothbrush. So I spent 50 yes. and it's awesome. So I'll link to the awesome. one that I got in the show notes because I think it's a really good 
you know, you could you could probably go as low as like 25, but I figured like middle of the road would be good. Yeah, no, middle of the road is definitely better. Um, I'd, I'd have to look because I'm sure they've updated this since I bought. I know they've updated their their um, model since I bought mine. But at one point, um, the list was like you want to go like middle range or above to get the technology that actually really works. So I wouldn't I wouldn't buy the cheapest one. They're going to last you years. If you take care of it, it'll last you years. It's well worth it. OK, cool. Um, let's see. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about stains, like the best way to get, I have to, uh, this is back in my twenties when I was a bit of a wino and I remember like having all of these black things on my teeth, like behind my teeth where yes. nobody could see them. But I was like, I was so terrified to go to the dentist that I didn't go for two years. Cause I'm oh, like, no. my teeth are straight up rotting out of my skull. Like oh, I no. didn't, I'm like, this is so bad. And well, I got, finally went and they were like, Oh, do you like to drink? Do you like to drink red wine? And I'm like, um, how did you know? <laughs> they were all red wine stains on my teeth and they took them right off. So. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah, and that's that's something where you definitely don't worry about that because stains stains can definitely be removed. So if you have staining, like don't that's I would not I would not stress about that. Um so two things for stains. Um the first one that most people have probably heard of is called charcoal toothpaste. And um I haven't tried it yet, but I recently saw that there is a white charcoal toothpaste out. I'm not sure who makes it. Uh, I wish I could. I'll try to find it for you and you can link to it. But um, it's probably a lot less messy than the black stuff because the black stuff makes a mess everywhere. You think when you spit into the sink, it just goes like in one little dribble down, down. Oh, no, no. It goes everywhere. everywhere. So just, just be careful because it's super messy, but it's really, really effective. Um, definitely not something that you want to be using every day, though. I would only recommend it maybe like once a week, maybe a couple times a month, not every day. It's oh, way, okay. Yeah. Way too abrasive to use on a daily basis. Well, it's kind of like the beauty counter charcoal mask. Like you wouldn't want to use that. That pulls out impurities like nobody's business, but it's not something you'd want to use every exactly. day. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So there's another one that I haven't tried this one yet, but my friend was telling me about it. She said she used it when she was treating her Lyme disease and her teeth were stained like terribly from all the um, herbal supplements and um, concoctions that she was taking. It's called Aura Live, O-R-A-L-I-V-E, and it comes in like a little jar, and she she swore by it. So that's something else that you guys can check out. Okay, and then what about oil pulling? I've heard a lot of things about that and the whole as a as a natural way to um, whiten your teeth. What do you think? Um, I don't think oil pulling is going to whiten teeth, but I mean maybe it could for you. I don't know. Um, that's that's it. That's probably not going to whiten your teeth very well. Uh, I would not recommend doing it every day. It oil, especially if you use coconut oil, it has caprylic acid in it, which kills bacteria, including your good bacteria. And so we do not want to wipe out the entire oral microbiome. We just want to reduce the bad pathogens, but increase the good pathogens. So if you oil pull, I would do it only a couple times a week, max. Okay. Um, I'm going a little off, um, off the schedule here, but... I want to hear your thoughts on this. So if you, you're, so um, coconut oil has caprylic acid, acid, which is an antimicrobial. It's one of the cool things about, about coconut oil, but like you're saying, it could also kill off good bacteria. What do you feel about consuming essential oils? Because obviously essential oils, huge, huge market right now. And I see people taking them orally quite frequently and it kind of stresses me out from a gut health perspective because I'm like mm -hmm. so many of these have antiviral antimicrobial properties which is great but they can also kill off the good stuff now I'm thinking as you're talking like same deal for the mouth what are your thoughts there yeah yes um 
And this is where it gets, and this is where oh, it's, it's so hard because I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know the right answer because a lot of these toothpaste, they do have like peppermint oil and all these things, which is, which is so much better than like Colgate, which has a bunch of um, like antibacterial components to it. But I don't, I don't know to what point like we shouldn't be using essential oils. I would definitely, I don't recommend ingesting essential oils. Um, not at least without working with a well-trained practitioner. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't, I probably would not be using, especially like a full drop of it or like taking yeah. one or two drops and mixing it with coconut oil, probably in the amount that's in toothpaste, it's very dilute and it's super tiny because it's, it's not as concentrated, but I definitely would not be taking like oil of oregano or peppermint and just dumping it in your mouth. Every single practitioner that I've interviewed has said the same exact thing in terms of ingesting essential oils. So I'm just going to just yeah. going to lay that I mean, down just, right there for everybody. Yeah, they're just they're super they're so concentrated and I think there's not enough studies on it yet. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Um, how about seltzer? Can you set the record straight? Is seltzer bad for your teeth? I've heard yes. I've heard no. Yeah, it's so funny. You're actually the first person that's ever asked me this question. So I, I went to go, I went to go look it up. And what I found is that carbonation is more acidic than like traditional water. However, I would much prefer you drink seltzer water over like apple juice or grape juice or soda or some sugary sweet fruit sweetened drink. Um, definitely better for your teeth. It's not your teeth. Acid does not cause cavities. If you are holding the seltzer water in your mouth for a prolonged period of time, yes, that could erode your enamel, but if you are drinking it, swallowing it, and then you know being done with it and not sipping on it slowly all day long, I don't think it's going to cause any issues at all. Okay, that's great news. So basically, like, don't yes. don't swish it around your mouth and you're yeah. fine. <laughs> don't be, like, washing your mouth out with it, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I drink seltzer water. Yeah, I drink seltzer water a lot, like carbonated water, because it's just no sugar. I mean, it's just a fun, it's just a fun, clean drink. And I would definitely not say stop that because you're worried about it causing, you know, a cavity or erosion. No. Kristen knows how to have a good time. Loosen up with a can of seltzer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right. As a holistic practitioner, what would you say that the top three tests are? Because everybody has kind of a different opinion on this or has their favorite test, but what would you, if somebody was coming to you um, looking for an overall health assessment, like I just want to know where I stand, what what are your favorite three labs to run? Yeah. Okay. So my favorite is probably, um, I have two favorites. Um, the first one is a test called SpectraCell. So have you heard of that? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it is. Okay. So it looks at... Um, it looks inside of your white blood cells um, at a whole bunch of different nutrients. So it looks at what is getting absorbed and utilized in your cells. And this is, differs from just general lab work because general lab work looks at your serum, not actually inside of your cells. So this is really important to look at someone's magnesium levels and even vitamin D levels yeah. because if, if it's not, you're like your serum vitamin D can be super high, but if it's not getting into the cell, then it's still not working. So I love SpectraCell. They're, they're awesome. And they, they just do a really good, really good job with it. And they are the only company that has this patented technology. So no one else is doing what they are doing. Um, the other favorite test is the organic acids test by Great Plains. It just, it's gives you so much bang for your buck. You can get so much information out of that test. And then probably just a stool test. Um, the GI map 
probably be my favorite or doctor's data just to check check what's going on in the gut. Yep, those are those are mine too. So that's we're on the same page there. Awesome. Yep. Um, all right, Kristen, that's all the questions. I mean, I could have I could ask you a million more questions, I'm sure, but we're we covered a lot that. though. We yeah. did. I like we that rapid fire. Um, all right, cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And again, Thank you. you guys, if you want to get in touch with Kristen and I highly recommend it, head over to her website. I'll link to it in the show notes beyond And she's also on Instagram with the same handle. So thank you once again, Kristen. Oh, thank you so much, Erin. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.